turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show as we head into our two. It is a delight to bring back my good friend Sam Stone. Sam Stone is a political consultant in town, the host of his own radio show, heard right here Saturday afternoons at 3 p.m., Breaking Battlegrounds. And um, he has a really great and active Twitter account, at Sam the Paul, P-O-L, Sam the P-O-L. Sam Stone, how are you, brother? I'm good, Seth, and, and you and folks on your program who've been following what's going on with Ann Atkinson. Yeah. Oh. Uh, you're going to want to tune in to this Saturday's episode at 3 p.m. Uh, when we did our last segment, another ASD professor decided to jump on our Twitter feed and tell us we were wrong about everything. Oh, really? Well, I yes. wonder if that ASU professor showed up at the hearing that the ASU professors were invited to show up at that we testified to on Tuesday, because, you know, they was, was this professor one of the 38 or 39 professors who wrote the letter condemning Dennis Prager as a white nationalist? Because they were invited and didn't show. He wasn't, uh, and I don't think he showed, but I do know he was watching it because oh, okay. he was active on his Twitter feed. His name is Brooks Simpson. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, so he's not part of the Honors College, so he wasn't part of that group. Uh, but he says we're wrong, you and I. And what are we and wrong? What are we program. wrong? Oh yes, this is the guy that said I was angry, right? Yes. What, what what are we wrong about, Sam? Well, I, I think we're going to find out live and on the air Saturday. Wonderful, uh, and and we're looking forward to it. Oh, I'm looking forward to it too. Good, good. Yes, I, you know what? This thing this thing still has me hot under the collar, sure, Seth. Sure. I mean, this entire thing because it. It highlights exactly what's wrong with academia today. And I don't know if you caught this. Uh, there's actually the, the, I think he's the head of the Harvard Law School, came out with a piece today that he co-authored with a professor from another university that said the Biden administration should just completely ignore decisions they don't like from the Supreme Court. Oh, this was Mark Tushnet, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I yes. saw this yes. yesterday. You know, he he's one. He may be at Harvard. He's been around at all the elite schools. He he wrote the con law textbook uh, that a lot of students used in the 90s. He, so if he wasn't Harvard, he was Chicago or Stanford, and sometimes they travel around those. Yeah, say that again, Sam. This is great. Do it again. Say tell tell him the new Tushnet yeah, thesis. So this Tushnet guy, who's a you know very high level right, law professor, right. believes it's okay. In fact, believes it's necessary for the Biden administration to simply ignore Supreme Court rulings that he doesn't like. And tellingly, it wasn't that the presidency more broadly should be ignoring that. In other words, he doesn't want a Donald Trump presidency ignoring Supreme uh-huh. Court rulings. Uh-huh. It's really limited to the Biden. Uh, administration or any favorable Democrat. He came out in 2016, I think it was, uh, during the Clinton, during Hillary Clinton's run and said, oh, the first thing they need to do is go through all these rulings and see which ones they're going to ignore. See, I, and this yeah. is a theoretical constitutional law professor. It's embarrassing. Well, you know, it's an embarrassing thing for a law school to host such a quote-unquote scholar, but it is a tell, Sam, on this thing we have been trying to reveal, I guess, over the past maybe decade or so, because this is kind of when it changed. It's been about a decade where the left 
truly feels that they should control the entirety of the realm. Anything that is not left-wing is uh, is equivalent to being uh, untermenschen, uh, un, un, inappropriate for political participation, inappropriate for legal decision-making or legal thought, just outside the realm, realm of respectable uh, possibilities in a democratic republic such as the United States. If it's not left... It doesn't belong. That's the realm that they believe they own and control and should own and control. Well, and what's really Orwellian about their stance mm-hmm. um, is not only do they believe all that, but they demand it under the by saying explicitly, this is a defense of democracy. It is, it is the exact opposite, as you and I and most of your listeners will instantly understand it is the exact opposite of the defense of a republic or a democratic form of government. And yet, they have learned with the media, with many of the students at these elite institutions, that they can frame it that way and have it be believed. And it is it is so 1984 of them, I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, they want to constrain teaching to a certain ideological avenue or highway. They want to constrain the realm of debate to a certain ideological avenue or highway. And they want to do it for two reasons. You know, one is so that they will, you know, chase off any conservative or any Republican uh, dissent or disagreement, but then play the long game as well. Because if you can create a professoriate or an academic series of institutions that only teaches from one direction, then you create uh, what we would call, you know, uh, over the long haul, over a course of a generation, you, you, you create an entire new warped way of thinking that is only unidirectional, right? And that's exactly what they're doing. And I personally trace this all back to 2012. So mm-hmm. you're right on in, in this being about a decade. Um, and I, I think I've talked about this on the air with you. But you go back to 2012, Barack Obama facing an uphill climb to his reelection after Obamacare had proven deeply unpopular and flawed. Mm-hmm. And to win that election, his campaign team came up with a strategy to increase the racial strife between uh, white and minority voters to try to maximize minority turnout via hate. And they unleashed the forces from the darkest corners of academia to do it. And even people who were you know, left but somewhat reasonable have gone completely off the deep end since then. They really, I, I blame Barack Obama personally for destroying the the very concept of academia in this country. Uh, the, I, I agree with all of that too, Sam. And I and it's you know it's it's one thing when it's colleges and universities because we kind of maybe have become accepting of left-wing rigidity and, and, and Marxist perspectives on the university where freedom of speech and debate has become so discounted. The other thing that's weird about, but the weird place it's entered, I suppose, is the way I would like to put it, is now in the halls of Congress. I saw Robert Kennedy uh, testified today, and the Democrats tried to keep him from testifying. You you would think where legitimate issues and almost every issue is legitimate to debate, where debate where debatable issues and propositions are 
are supposed to be debated, they want to now control those fora as well. It's really quite incredible how, how, how much control they want to exercise and how limited they want to make any public political or, ideo- or otherwise ideological forum. Yeah, totalitarian leftism is now the mantra of uh, almost a third of this country, and they, they've done it by disseminating it from academia down, but now you see the effect. And, it, you know, it also speaks to when you're talking about the halls of Congress and you've got a lot of people who've been there for, you know, 20, 30 years, it speaks to cowardice, intellectual and personal cowardice on the part of those officials who, who you know don't really believe this. In other words, every time I look at Adam Schiff saying the things he says, I, I look at him and see somebody who's saying whatever he thinks will get him reelected in a highly progressive area as a white heterosexual male. Mm-hmm. You know, and in other words, it's just straight lies, it, but they're really pernicious and damaging to the very fabric of this republic. And the fact that they're not, they're you know, not willing to push back. And you bring up Bobby Kennedy yeah. and the character assassination yeah. that they're using yeah. is is equally pernicious because. Anytime anyone, you know, especially from their side, steps out of this new and ever-changing ideological enforced conformity, anytime they do that, they bring the character assassination down. So if you listen, for instance, this whole brouhaha about Kennedy, you know, saying that the COVID virus was genetically targeted, that's not what he said. I I had to, I've, I've taken, whenever they say these things, I'll go back and try to find the source. He was talking about a Cleveland clinic clinic study that showed that Ashkenazi Jews and ethnic Chinese were the least vulnerable to it. Mm-hmm. There was no insinuation that the virus itself was targeted, but then he talked about the fact that China has openly, uh, in, in paperwork that has since been scrubbed from every corner of the internet, but openly been exploring ethnically targeted viruses as part of their bioweapons program. And given what they're doing with the Uyghurs, given their general world outlook, that's an incredibly dangerous thing that he was highlighting and something that, frankly, we should be talking about because we never, ever, ever want to see that type of of virus manipulation become something that uh, happens and then is used. Because that's how you actually do end an entire subgroup or population. The coda to all of this is that the most censored stories and the most suppressed stories during, oh, circa mm, March 2020 to, uh, I don't know, March of this year with regard to COVID, the most censored and suppressed stories were the ones that had the most veracity. Sam Stone is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Sam Stone is my guest, political consultant in town, host of his own radio show, heard here every Saturday at 3 p.m., uh, Breaking Battlegrounds, and um, great Twitter feed. You want to follow him at Sam the Paul P-O-L. You know, Sam, there's another element or layer to this discussion we've been having about this effort to silence people, even in legislative halls like in Congress. Um, it's It's odd, you know, because... At a certain point, I want to ask the Hillary question, the Hillary Clinton question. What difference does it make? The media is not reporting on anything they don't want to hear anyway. Did you see the total media blackout on the IRS whistleblowers from yesterday? I mean, if they don't yeah. like what's said, it's not going to get reported anyway. No, and that's, you know, that is another 
big change in the news from 10 or 20 yeah. years ago. Right. I, I've been going around right now talking to a lot of Republican groups, uh, trying to help us actually kind of rebuild some post-primary unity. I mean, my message to every Republican in the state is, look, we're only a red state still uh, when the entire Republican and, and Republican voting universe here is aligned. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're a blue state and we're in for trouble. So I've been going around talking to them about that. One of the questions I get most often from folks is, well, I don't understand. I tried to talk to my neighbor so-and-so. They're very reasonable. And I brought up, you know, X, Y, Z. And, you know, they... they they treated me like I was a kook, you know. Um, the thing I have to stop and explain to them is if you're not watching Fox News and things to the right of Fox News, which you have to directly seek out to find, you have no idea of half the things that are going on in this country because they, all the left media, the corporate media, has simply stopped reporting on it. They just, like you said, whether it's an IRS whistleblower, whether it's Hunter, the existence of a Hunter Biden's laptop, um, whether it's the carnage and fallout from our precipitous withdrawal from Afghanistan, any of these things that are happening, whether, you know, the, the women and uh, men participating in, in beating women's sport in sports and going in their locker rooms. I until very recently, I had plenty of left to say, oh, that's not happening. That's not happening, despite a couple of years of evidence that it was. The reason is they've never seen it. They've never been exposed to it. They are living in a very limited alternate universe. Republicans and conservatives don't because we get that uh, premature of the broader media, of the corporate media kind of shoved down our throat at every opportunity, and it's so much more pervasive. We see far more of it. So uh, you're dealing with a population that is not – it's not that they're brainwashed. It's that they're not given the inputs to be able to even see the truth. That's a really good point. And and I suppose that explains some of the success you see from alternative or um, auxiliary organizations. Like you think about PragerU and uh, people flock to it because it is so refreshing and refreshingly different with uh, ideas and concepts that the, uh, that that the young people who see it, and as I understand it, it's primarily a platform addressing the young, or attracted where the young are attracted to. That it's it's so refreshingly different because they've never been exposed to these thoughts and ideas before, which also would explain why there's also a suppression campaign against it. That's exactly right. Uh, it's any outlet that, especially for young people, right. Um, that opens their minds. Anything that allows them to view things from outside of this neoliberal, truly anti-liberal bubble that the left has created um, is anathema, and especially those things that can get in front of children who might learn not to believe the propaganda. It's very much akin to, for instance, the way the Soviets used to limit any sort of in right one of our big weapons against the soviets at the throughout the the final few decades was voice of america and radio signals they couldn't stop yeah that's right um but otherwise they you know the average soviet citizen didn't have an accurate picture of america they were very careful to keep that away from them likewise the chinese whose version of the internet is vastly different than the version of the internet you find anywhere else in the world that's right where it's deliberately scrubbed of all this information so it doesn't break into the country at all. 
Um, this is a condition of the leftist authoritarian regime is they cannot allow people to see what's going on. They cannot allow the full range of truth that exists in the world, because if they do, then their theories break down yeah. very, very quickly. It's such a great point. What they do to us here in America is what uh, Soviet and communist systems tried to do for Radio Free America, uh, Radio Free Europe. It's such a great point. It is such a great point. Let me take a quick commercial break. Sam Stone is my guest. I no. Oh, I still have time. My clock is off. <laughs> David was looking at me like I was crazy. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I had that. My, my clock was just off a little bit there. But that is the point, isn't it? It is the same kind of thing you get in Maoist China, the same kind of – or current China, which is Maoist China. Same kind of thing you get in Cuba. Same kind of thing where they tried to scramble uh, Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty because that's exactly right. Anything that is a threat to the regime with truth, they know will penetrate – Throughout, throughout you know whatever audience is able to hear it, and that will be their that will be their biggest problem. That will be their biggest risk. That will be their biggest vulnerability. Just a little bit of truth seeping in. Interesting yeah, that, that, that the left today is acting like the communists of yesterday. Well, they, they're ideologically aligned, yep. so it's actually not that surprising. Right. But you know what? A great great story I once heard from a Soviet defector who left, obviously, before the wall fell and all that kind of thing and came to America and said, hey, you know, one of the things that helped open my eyes was uh, anytime there's any sort of racial strife in America, the uh, Soviet national television would, would be all over it, They, you know, talking about how terrible America was, blah, blah, blah. And he said, but while they're doing this, they're showing pictures of all the American ghettos, and their their houses are nicer than ours. They have cars, and we didn't have cars. And so even that little bit of truth that was left on the screen broke down the entire narrative the Soviets were trying to sell. And that's, the, that's why the left is so adamant about things like this event at Health, Wealth, and Happiness event at ASU, the reason they're so adamant about silencing voices, especially voices that reach children, because they realize that any chink in their armor is going to bring the entire house, it has the risk of bringing the entire house of cards down. Sam, you know, you probably get asked this in appearances you make in public speeches and different kinds of environments you, uh, different kinds of environments you talk in. You probably get the question, uh, you know, from from maybe slightly older adults or a slightly older generation of adults who will say versions of, how did we get here? How did we get this way? How did it happen? And I think w- what you're getting at and what you're driving at is the kind of thing I've been trying to get at and drive at, which is, uh, folks, if you don't think it starts in kindergarten, it, then, you know, When Ronald Reagan said freedom is only one generation away from extinction, it doesn't pass itself down through the bloodstreams. It has to be taught and nurtured. Think about what a generation is. Think about what's happened over the past 30 years. They they have figured out how to use education. They have figured out the importance of indoctrination in elementary and secondary schools as well as the colleges. We are just beginning to tie our shoes on this one. Can I pursue that with you when we come right back? Oh, you bet you can. (laughs) Thank you. Sam Stone is my guest. He and I will be right back.
<laughs> Harper Valley PTA Parent Teacher Association. Was that, did that just come in randomly? That's funny. Sam Stone is my guest. We are talking education. You can follow him on Twitter at Sam the Paul P O L. Education's quite a bit different um, than it used to be when songs like that were a little more popular. Sam, or even when we were going through elementary and secondary school. I was talking with um, an education scholar with the Thomas B. Fordham Foundation the other day, Daniel Buck, and he was reminding us and pointing out and reminding us that, you know, perhaps one of the most popular books in teachers or education programs, particularly at the master's level, is a book called uh, uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, where, and it was written by Paulo Ferreira, a a self-declared Marxist. And that the point of education is to indoctrinate through the Marxist power struggle uh, dialectic. And this is what teachers are now trained with in these ed schools. They're not trained in understanding, reading, and teaching, I don't know, Shakespeare or Mark Twain or, or, or Milan Kundera. They're trained in teaching propaganda. And the left has done a very good job of this. They hate that we've tried to and about and you know figured it out over the last couple of years. They they hate that, but we've because we've discovered them. But that's how you get to where we are. Thirty years of that nonsense. Yeah, and and realistically, they were very smart and they played a very long game. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, because what they did was take over. Obviously, first the schools of education and the universities. And then once they did that, over the period of 30 years, you're going to replace all the teachers that are there who are teaching from, you know, that past version of, hey, we're, we're here to educate, we're here to ABCs, one, two, threes. Uh, instead, they are coming to it from this explicit angle of indoctrination. And what's particularly telling is that that's the only thing that's important to them. You look at the abysmal test scores across this country, including you know New York, Baltimore, Chicago schools that are paying <clears throat> upwards of twenty five thirty in New York thirty eight thousand dollars per kid per year, and their results are horrific. Their results are far worse than ours here are in Arizona at a fraction of the cost. So where's all that money going? It's certainly not going into better education. It's not going into better results. It's entirely focused on creating the type of compliant voters who have a very limited and ideologically hidebound worldview that they prefer. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's 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 a really good way to put it, Sam. That's a really good way to put it. And the and the worst thing, uh, the worst nightmare for the left is for us as I say, having discovered this and now starting to run for such things as school boards, which is why Merrick Garland would issue a letter and directive to local law enforcement to monitor school board meetings and put a chilling effect on conservatives who would show up at school board meetings. Another suppression of the First Amendment, of course, with the fear of chill, <coughs> excuse me, using law enforcement. Um, that That's why they did that. They don't want us there. Again, they think they that's another realm they think they own. That's another category of life in America that the left thinks we have no business participating in. Well, and, and another that then the, the broader media does their best to ignore when the whistleblower pops up, because one of the whistleblowers testifying, I believe, at the end of last week was explicitly part of the team that was ordered to go out and investigate these parents. 
and he was talking about, you know, look, I'm a parent. I've shown up at school board meetings. I agree in general with the aims of these parents. I, I don't think they're wrong. And yet I'm out there and I'm supposed to be recording their license plate numbers and trying to create uh, files against them that we can use to write up the throwing them into jail. And boy, you want to talk about a dystopian world we're living in here right now in this country. That is a perfect example of how truly dystopian it has become. That's a very good point, Sam Stone. It's a very good point. And I suspect that, you know, as it happens with conservatives figuring things out, like we did with the Federalist Society in the late 70s or 80s, waking up to the the dominant left-wing attitudes at law schools and in the in the in the burgeoning judiciary it will probably take you know a few years for this to suss out and for us to get on equal footing for us to figure out how to win these elections more and more this last election season i think was really maybe the first one where conservatives took the school board issues as seriously as they did, as seriously as they need to be. And it'll take us a few more years to get there, but we've got to encourage this effort, right? We do, and it's got to be a very comprehensive effort. School boards are critical. That's a great first step. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you need to look at kind of the nascent steps that, that DeSantis has been taking in Florida yep. with the new College of Florida and with yep. their Board of Regents. Yep. You're going to have to use that those state powers to clean out boards of regents, clean out the leadership, fire the leadership of these universities, and replace them with people who will simply get rid of all this indoctrination and go back to doing the job that they're paid to do in educating. Now you're singing my song. You got room for one more segment in you there, Sam Stone? I certainly do. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Sam Stone has been my guest this hour. He is uh, to be followed on Twitter at Sam the Paul, P-O-L, Sam the P-O-L. He is the host of his own radio show, heard right here every Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m., breaking battlegrounds. He's a political consultant in town. Yeah, Sam, you made a good point about the citizens' duties now that we have had to well, I should say have been foisted on us, but we have we have a duty to accept that foisting, and that is at the city – excuse me, that is at the school board uh, – uh, school board elections, school board elections we need to be involved in. But you made a really good point about governors too and the exercise of state power. One of my favorite headlines ever was the San Francisco – excuse me, the San Francisco Chronicle, 1967 – January, Ronald Reagan becomes governor of California, and the headline is Kerr out, Reagan wins. Clark Kerr was the bet nor the, 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 the bet nor to Ronald Reagan uh, and was the instigator and or at least supporter of all the riotous activity from the Board of Regents. And Reagan made, as the governor, it a campaign to get rid of him, and he did. And he succeeded. And he taught governors that this is their power with boards of regents, at least at state universities. Seems like Ron DeSantis got that memo. Too few others, I think, have. Yeah, it's a big problem. So DeSantis did get that memo. And honestly, if there's any disappointment to me in in his run for president beyond it being a lackluster campaign to date, um, frankly, it's it's that he is not there continuing the focus and, and continuing what he started on that particular front, um, which I think is deeply necessary. And I think a roadmap uh, from 
from Florida or from any state, the governor that pushes ahead and achieves this first and creates a roadmap, every other uh, red state governor is going to need to follow it. And, you know, they, there's elements of this in what we're seeing with the massive expansion, expansion of school choice, right? Because a lot of people are looking at it saying, I don't want my kid as part of that system, which I agree with. But I also disagree in a certain sense because if we're taking and, and creating a, a, an alternative system, then we're not going to be focused on fixing this one, which is still always going to be very significant. So, you know, I really think we're at a point where fixing education from the top down, from the universities down, is maybe the single most imperative um, thing. You know, it's the single thing that Republican governors can do that will change the future the most and the most positively. Yeah, thank you. I I, I think so, too. And I think Republicans need to run on these things. I mean, it seems to me that when people talk education, uh, when people talk education, people vote. It used to be, I mean, you guys, you remember the days when everyone on both parties would say, I want to be your education president. I want to be your education governor. I want to be your education this. I want to be your education that. And you look at some of these races, particularly school board races in Scottsdale, where our team really went and drove very hard on the education reform issues. And, you know, they outperformed even I mean, they outperformed even some statewide candidates or at least statewide races in voter turnout percentage wise. People care about education and the Republican Party ought to be campaigning on it from top to down, from top to from high to low, from elementary and secondary to higher education, because there are things we can do about it. But we've abandoned the field for too long. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we cannot be reticent at all at this point. And you know that just like DeSantis, anytime you, you step on that, the the left is going to try to treat it like it's a third rail for you. They're going to try to make it a very scary step to take. Mm-hmm. But if you've seen the results, whether it's DeSantis and his reelect or Glenn Youngkin getting elected in Virginia, the fact is people aren't buying their scare tactics. As long as they see a Republican governor stepping up to really focus on basic, constructive education, that's that's really what half this country um, is willing to vote on right now. Well, I, I think that I, I think that's right, and I mean it's really it's an interesting thing if you want to understand how much we ha- we might have them on the run on these issues when we take them seriously. Look at their reaction when Ron DeSantis does common sense education reform, when he did things like, you know, desexualizing the curriculum at the levels of kindergarten and first grade and second grade or deracializing the curriculum. They went nuts. They went nuts. The teachers melted down and the ladies on The View and all media, you know, started, well, attempted to boycott Florida. And and, and and used the worst kinds of slurs against Ron DeSantis in Florida, NAACP. I mean, these organizations said Florida is unsafe for African-Americans oh, yeah. you, and minorities. You've got these performative yeah. right. uh, alphabet soup groups right. creating, you know, underground railroads. Um, 
to get people out of Florida. I, you know, breaking news that shouldn't be news to anybody. If you want to sell your house in Florida, there are like 73 buyers from right. blue states lined up to take it from you right now. I don't think it's that hard to get out of that. <laughs> yes, exactly right. But that, you know, is what's gotten under their skin when we discovered what they're up to. Uh, real quick, Sam, uh, 30, 40, 50 seconds. Uh, do you, how, how, how are things looking on the presidential race or are you still sticking to way too early to tell or say anything? Well, I, I mean, I think Trump is continuing to to expand his lead over the field. But what's interesting about that is, he, you know, his polling still varies between about 48 and 52, a median right about 50 percent. And he's not moving up over that. And I've been critical in recent weeks of his campaign and all the others, uh, other than Ramaswamy, uh, Larry Elder, and RFK, for not focusing on issues. And interestingly, Larry hasn't gained any traction, but you see the traction being gained by Ramaswamy, yeah, yeah. and you see the traction yeah. for RFK. Yep. Voters are ready to hear, including from Donald Trump, what they're going to do in the future. Yep, yep, yep. Something new, in other words, something different. Sam yeah, Stone. It's not yeah. enough to run on freedom. No. Run on hope. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Sam Stone, bless <laughs> you, sir. Godspeed. Thank you for everything you do. You likewise, Seth. Likewise. All right. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Seth Leibson, and we'll be right back. <laughs> we love this song, don't we? Folks, how do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy? You've got your bank failures. You've got your stock market volatility. You've got a possible recession coming. You've got your inflation. <clears throat> Where do you go to invest? Well, why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio offered by Y-Refi, and they're headquartered here locally. I encourage you, they encourage you, to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road and the 101. I've been there, and I can tell you you won't get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. There is so much to do on the education front for our movement. Um, And I think I would start by quoting a moral philosopher from Oxford, early 20th century, John Alexander, who said the, um, the chief purpose of education is to know when a man is talking rot, R-O-T, when a man is talking rot. Because if you think about and look at some of these curricula, look at the kind of stuff that's passing as honors education at ASU, but also look at the kind of stuff they're giving your kids an elementary and secondary education, K through 12 education, someone needs to stand up and say, this is rot. This is just rot. We're not giving our students, our children, our best. 
not speaking necessarily about teachers or teacher quality. We're not giving them the best of cultural education or culture. We're not giving them the best of what the life of the mind deserves. If there's in our education system no common faith, no common body of principle, no common body of knowledge, no common moral and intellectual discipline, how are we to create a civil nation? How are we to nurture democratic citizenship? Well, we can't and we aren't because we don't. And that's really the problem. We'll be right back.